And you know, I thought about like all this rejection. I was like, Jesus was rejected in a big way. Our kids are going to be rejected. We are going to be rejected. And I can honestly tell you what was driving that fear that I was having, except I was not trusting God. I was not trusting the Lord. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you, again, one of your favorite topics, everyone, (laughs) and that is parenting, (laughs) and parenting high schoolers in particular. We have Ruth from our Vestavia gathering and actually got to attend. It was so much fun. That's right, Robin. I mean, we have so many requests about parenting stories, and Ruth's story (laughs) is definitely one that I think all of us can relate to. I just appreciate her authenticity, her vulnerability, her humility. There's nothing like children that brings us to our knees and makes us realize how humble we need to be. We know that firsthand. And and the facade of control. And she touches all of those things. You're going to laugh. You're definitely going to laugh. You're going to (laughs) also probably find yourself in some of these situations. And like, like Ruth said, she's like, I don't want to admit all of these things, but I've done them. And I did appreciate that as well. So get ready to be entertained for sure. And today we actually have double Vestavia stories coming at you because our Patreon insiders are going to get a bonus story from Allison Fuquay, who is also from Vestavia Hills, sharing the story of how her and her husband Tyler started Not Forgotten, which ministers to abandoned and neglected and abused children in Peru. It is a great story. If you are not a member of Patreon, it is very simple. Just scroll down right now, click that link in our show notes, or you can go to our website and it will pop up and give you the opportunity to become a Patreon insider. You get extra content and it helps us keep the lights on. So join today. Hey everyone, before we get to Ruth's story, we wanted to let you know about a special bonus episode we're going to be airing next Monday, November 6th. Stephanie Datnoff from Birmingham, Alabama is sharing her story, which includes her passionate heart for the Jewish people. You know, with all that's going on in the Middle East, we at Storytellers are praying for peace and for comfort to all the innocent victims and families who are and have been affected by the war. Stephanie's going to guide us on the important role we play as believers in praying for our Jewish family and friends. I'm telling you, this is an episode you don't want to miss. So be on the lookout for it next Monday, November 6th. Here's Ruth. My name is Ruth, and I grew up here in Birmingham, Alabama. And I first want to say I am a hot mess of a person. And I'm very imperfect. I'm an imperfect wife, mother, daughter, friend. I'm really passionate about everything. And Coulter, my husband, tells me that if he cared about stuff as much as I do, that he would absolutely implode, because everything is a big deal to me. I'm borderline OCD, and I have really, really high expectations of how I think life should be. Like I said, I grew up here in Birmingham, and I have precious parents. My mom is here, Renee, and I have an older brother. He was a Grateful Dead following hippie with long hair, and we were from the same parents. My mom, she's the kindest soul, and they always raised us to just love God and love people. And I was very blessed growing up with an awesome church family. Um, That was a huge part of my life. When I was younger, I remember having just a lot of confidence. If you knew me as a teenager, college, I mean, I wasn't afraid of anything, I felt like. Um, I would go to strangers. I could make friends. I don't know. Those of you who went to Auburn probably took Com 100. It's a public speaking class. 
This is how confident I was. I got up for persuasive speaking. Do y'all ever have to do that? Um, and convince some, you know, persuade somebody to think something. And my speech was about premarital sex. I got up in front of my college <laughs> class and tried to persuade them on five different points not to have sex before they were married. <laughs> like, I talked about STDs, and I talked about getting pregnant, and, and then I read them some Bible verses in front of my class. And I can't believe I did that. Like, now I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed for myself. But that's the kind of confidence I had. I met Coulter when I was 18, and we were freshmen at Auburn. And we dated, and we broke up. And we dated, and we broke up. And there were lots of tears in between. But y'all, I, I, I thought I would die without him. I knew he was the one. The last time we broke up, I remember I was already working at Southern Living, doing my internship, and he was still at Auburn playing baseball. And I remember I got a he stopped on the side of the road at a payphone. And he called me at work and he said, oh my gosh, I miss you so much. I love you. And I'm, I'm saying like, if it had been raining, it would have been like the perfect story. <laughs> but I don't think it was raining. But we did get back together. And I loved my job. I was working. I had a degree in journalism. I was traveling a ton. And I was doing these events. I would do some TV. And um, I got to go on stage and do these decorating seminars and pretend like I knew what I was talking about. And I really didn't because I was like 22. And y'all... All this time, like, I like a plan. Like, I like a big organized plan wrapped up with a big bow. Like, I wanted a five-year plan. But in 2000, Coulter graduated from Auburn. He signed with the Yankees. And we got engaged in one week. Okay? And I'm like, what is our five-year plan? And it's just like, you can't have one when you marry somebody that plays baseball. And he left right after, like, we got engaged. And he left for the summer to start his professional baseball career. And I want y'all to know part of my marriage story because I feel like it will give you insight into who I am and just a little bit about marriage. We spent the first eight years living apart. I mean, he would leave in at the end of February to report for spring training and I would go visit. And at first it wasn't a big deal because I was working and I was loving my job and, you know, I was rocking it, right? Then we started thinking about babies and my prayer was, God, please don't give me June babies. And I have two June babies, okay? <laughs> two, because that's right in the middle of baseball season. My oldest, Gibson, is 18 now. And when he was born, Coulter had played like a 16-inning game the night before, and we didn't think he was going to make it. I remember mom picking me up and taking me to the hospital, and we're like, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? And finally, I'm getting the epidural, and here he comes. And he had three days off when I had a baby, and then he had to leave. And so my mom moved on, and I remember him coming home, and for the all-star break. And he was like, can I pick him up? Like he was asleep. I was like, yeah, you're his dad. Like you can pick him up. Like it was just like, we were like living two separate lives. And then two years later, my other gene baby, Mary Payton was born. She's 16 now, had the exact same due date with both of my kids. And that's what happens um, when you get pregnant in September, when your husband comes home from playing baseball, you have gene babies. Got two of them. That life, okay, in baseball, the highs are like really, really high. Okay. And the lows are really low. It is such a, it's a business. And Coulter, when I met him, I mean, he's the kindest soul. But baseball, like, it makes you hard. You have, like, to stay in it and keep playing as long as he did, it hardened him. And that's a, the way he had to be to survive in that world. I do remember the first time he got called up, because um, I know, I don't, I don't know if y'all know a lot about baseball, but minor leagues, like the Barons kind of thing is where he spent most of his time. But when he got called up, I was 34 weeks pregnant with Gibson. And I was like, I got to go. 
I got to go. So I called my doctor and I was like, I got to get my forms because I go into labor when I get to New York. So I went and picked those forms up, got on the plane, went up there. That was a high, you know, such a great time. Like it was amazing. Right. But then that night they're like, okay, we're sending you back down to AAA. (laughs) So it just like immediately when it was a high, it was a low. And people would constantly say, I don't know how you do this. Or I would never, I could never do this. And I was like, me being me, I was so competitive and so just like, I really just watch me do this. I'm going to rock this, you know, this lifestyle, this, I was alone a lot through that time. I had an amazing support system and I saw God working in my life and I saw the things that he did. I had my family. I had this amazing church group that I don't think I could have survived without their support. It was just really, it was just really, really hard. But like I bought a house by myself. I learned how to cut grass. Although my dad would come and cut my grass for me sometimes. He bought me a lawnmower for my birthday one year. I remember that. And I traveled alone with two babies, infants, all the time. And I was like, I can do this. I remember one year, Coulter was at spring training with the Braves, and we had passes to Disney World. And I took my infant, Mary Payton, and Gibson, who was two, to Disney World by myself. And I remember this woman, it was at Animal Kingdom. I was like getting on the safari ride, and she's like, where is your husband? And I was like, well, he's, he's working. But I was like so determined. And it was like that about everything. And I thought about that time in my life. And I felt like I would trust God. And then I'd be like, I got this. And then it was like the Israelites roaming through the desert. It's like they were with God. Then they worshiping the golden calves and whatever they were doing. Then they'd get attacked. And then they'd be like, oh, we need God again. And I feel like that was my life at this point. It was like this cycle. And it kept going Because I I knew God. I grew up knowing God. I loved God. I believed all the things. And it was just this this vicious cycle. And in 2008, Coulter retired from baseball. And when he came home, it was just really, really hard. I mean, his identity had been a baseball player for his whole life. And it's all of a sudden like, now what? We're looking at each other like, what do do we do? Um, He had a degree, but all all the other people had been working for eight years. What are we going to do? I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about that time because I really want to share that story with Coulter one day. But God's hand was totally on my marriage during that time. He used um, godly men to pour into my husband. He used godly women to pour into me. Marriage is hard. And if anybody says it's not, they are lying to you. It's hard. When you commit to love someone, you you commit to love them when they're unlovable. And he was very unlovable when he got home from playing baseball. Um, and, you know, people would be like, aren't you so glad he's home? And I'm like, no. No, I've been running this house. I have been running this house. And then he comes in and says he's running the house. And, like, it was just hard. So this was about the time that I was diagnosed with ADHD, borderline OCD, and anxiety. I mean, shocker. But I was like, but I really was like, how could I have ADHD? I mean, I always knew I was hyper, but like, I mean, I managed through school. And I think before, like I had managed all the things through like exercise, but then like God gives me a family, babies, and it's not just about me anymore. And that's when I think it reared its ugly head. And I remember talking to, I went to my, my doctor sent me to a psychiatrist to say, Hey, I think that you need to talk to somebody. I remember not wanting to take any medication. Because I was like, well, it, I, I'm not trusting God enough if I have to take medication. I can pray my way out of this. Um, and that lasted for like a year or two. And then finally I was just like, you know, God created scientists and doctors and 
it's okay to take medication. And girls, I'm still on it because I have all those things. And if something can help me, then I'm going to do it. So as we settled into our new normal, I was kind of rocking the little kid thing. I told my little church group one time, I was like, I'm a great zoo mom. Like, I love all the little kid things, you know. The facade of control was there. You know, you can dress them the way you want to. You pick who they hang out with. All those things. Like, I, And I was so overprotective. I'm still overprotective. That like we did car seats, like my kids were riding in a booster seat till like fourth grade. I wouldn't let them eat, you know. I was like, don't eat anything while I'm gone. You might choke. If if your kids were ever at the swimming pool at the same time as mine, they were being well cared for because I was a lifeguard to all the children <laughs> at the pool. Because water is like one of my biggest fears with the kids still to this day. You know, we never let our kids go to the lake. You should feel very proud because I let my kids go with her. Because um, I knew she's gonna take care of them, but. As they got older, and this is where I really want to talk about today, what I want to talk about today. When they got older, I could not control everything. And the pressure that society puts on us, bigger, faster, stronger, go, 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 it just sent me into a tailspin of constant worry, anxiety. And like, y'all, I was fighting it because I knew better. I knew that I didn't want to raise my kids like that. I don't want to drive to Timbuktu for a private lesson. I don't want to put this on my kids. But the society we live in, that fear sinks in. Oh, well, if I don't, then my kid's going to be behind. How many AP classes has your kid taken? What'd they get on the ACT? You know, like, are they an athlete? Everybody's an athlete, right? They got a 4.0. That's the way it feels. And then, hey, who's in their friend group? Oh, my God, the friend group. I can't even. You know, and then on, on top of that, We're supposed to be taking them to church and filling them, you know, with the love of God. And it's just all of that was like, oh, I cannot take it. When Mary Payton was probably in fourth or fifth grade, I had someone tell me that she needed to work on her planks. And because she was wanting to be a cheerleader, okay? And I was like looking at her in the backyard and I was like, she's jumping on the trampoline. She's still playing with her American Girl dolls at this stage, fourth and fifth grade. I am not going to tell her, hey, stop playing with that doll and get here on the floor and let me time you on your planks. That's crazy, right? So I just, in my mind, I knew, like I knew it was okay for my kids to fail. I knew they should fail. I failed. I knew in my mind it was good for them to make friends of all kinds, like walks of life, right? And I knew that the most important thing in their life was to know Jesus. But y'all, trusting God with their lives was very hard. They are my babies. And y'all, I love so deeply. Like, I know we all do. I mean, but like, I think I have like a disease that I love too deeply. I mean, like I told you, I care about everything, everything. And just, I worry about everything. And I love people so much. Like I love all people, but people make me so mad sometimes. And so I think back to my life and it's the really big things that I'm really good at. If in a crisis, you call me because I'm your girl. I, I mean, something really bad happens. I am on it. And, you know, I think it's because nothing, no one else to rely on besides God. The Lord is, you're surrounded by his presence when something really bad happens. And then like all your people are showing up, right? Like you can talk to all your people about the big things. Hey, this is happening and they're praying for you and they're bringing you casseroles. And like, you know, it, it's amazing. But y'all, what was happening to me is like these little hurts and disappointments, especially with my kids, it was shattering my soul. My soul was shattered. And I'm like, where is that confident girl? Where did she go? So I started thinking about that. And 
I feel like a lot of us, especially moms, really struggle behind closed doors because these little things that are going on with our kids completely suffocate us sometimes. And I, I kind of thought about it like um, it's like a little spark, like a little match, you know, and it creates this entire forest fire like in your heart. And I think in my mind, I felt like the things that I was getting upset about and these anxieties about the kids were so dumb. And I knew that it didn't matter in the grand scheme of life. And I knew that. And I just hurt for my kids when they hurt. When something happens to them, like, I really want to, you know, I'm the type of mom, I'm like, I'm calling you up. I'm like, we ride it, Dawn. This kid hurt my kids' feelings, you know? I don't even remember what happened to cause me to act like a total just crazy person. But one night, something had happened. Like, I think Mary Payton had gotten left out or not invited. I don't know. So I walk in her room. She's sitting there, I think, doing homework. (laughs) And I start ripping pictures off her bulletin board. And I'm like, these are not your friends. These are not your friends. They don't need to be hanging up here. And she is like, eyes this big going, my mom has lost her mind. Why is she ripping pictures off my bulletin board? It was not my finest parenting moment. But the little things were chipping away at my soul and crushing me into a million pieces. And as your kids get older, your circle of trust um, gets really tiny. You can't just tell any mom, like, your child's deepest, darkest secrets and, like, what's really going on because they're like little people now. Like, when they get to middle school and stuff like that, that it follows them because that mom might tell the kid and then it comes, this, you know, all the things. So you feel kind of alone. And like I said, like, these things that were happening, I knew were just, like, I'm like, people have real problems. You know, and I knew that people are suffering in the world. People have kids that are sick and I'm sitting here worried about this, but y'all, I just did not feel like, even though I'm a believer, I just felt like these things were too petty to bring to God. And so it just kept manifesting in my soul. Um, And during this time, I will say that God did lay on my heart to look outside myself and my children, really. What can I do to help others? Because I felt like I knew that this was going on just by talking to other moms. Like, I knew other moms felt the same way. So, like, what can I do? So, that's when kind of the, even though I was like, I was really dying inside. Um, and I had great advice for other moms. Like, if you talked to me during that time, I had great advice for you. And I believed it. I was like, hey, God, God's got your kid. And I believed it. Like, I believed it for your kid and you. But I didn't believe it for me and my kid. Like, I really didn't. So we started hosting a lot of things. And the verse that, it, you know, kept in my mind, do not grow weary of doing good because I was weary. So we started, you know, hosting things. I remember that one of the first things we did was Halloween. My son really wasn't into the girl thing. And it was the first time boys and girls got together. And Halloween had started becoming that big thing, group thing, oh, the group. And so I was like, we're going to invite people who are not in the group to our house. And I remember Gibson saying, well, I don't, this one kid, he's so annoying. And I'm like, there are going to be 25 people here. He, he's not going to annoy you. It's better to invite him than to leave him out and hurt his feelings. So we invite when we can. We had a Bible studies for the church girls in my house. And one thing we did that's lasted to this day is every year we do paintball with the boys. My, my son is a senior. And um, we rent out the paintball place and everybody's invited. All the boys in the whole grade. And I didn't do it one year. And this kid that's not even friends with my son, he was like, hey, are we going to do that paintball thing? And I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to do it. And they come. It's great. So I tried to be really inclusive when I could um, because I knew how much I was hurting. 
And it really did like fill my heart with joy to have these kids at my house. Um, but sometimes I had to check my motive behind, like, I love having people at my house, but like, was my motive pure? Like, hey, I want the kid that doesn't have any friends to come to my house and feel loved. Or am I trying to social engineer something? Because let's just face it. I know that we're all guilty of that because we want our kids to be included. We want them to be liked, right? We actually renovated our house during this time. And after many years of talking about it, we did it. And my main motivation behind it, what I, I kept telling my family, I was like, you're going to save some kid from being a drug addict by this renovation because they're going to be welcome. They're gonna, I mean, they're not going to be out there vaping and drinking because they're going to be at my house. So, um, so we did that. And then quarantine hit. And I will say... We were living, we called it Camp Branch, the apartments, and we had a puppy, and uh, we were all getting along so well. <laughs> my, kids, my kids' favorite moment from the apartment, I mean, they can't remember anything else except for the night that mom completely lost it and left for an hour. And they're like, mom, we still don't know where you went, because I was so mad at them, and I don't even know why. My parents have a house in Point Clear, Alabama, and so we're like, we're packing it up, and we moved down there for four months. And I'm so thankful for those four months, because God... Oh, God gave me so much rest for my soul. He restored my soul because I was in the valley and he restored my soul. We all got along, all four of us, like, which is amazing. I mean, we're real close, um, but I mean, we fight. During that time, I remember Gibbs and I binge watched a very holy TV show, The Walking Dead. <laughs> and y'all are probably judging me, but y'all, oh, he, he was, I don't know how, he was like ninth grade, I guess, eighth grade. But like every night we'd binge watch it. And then we'd stay up, Mary Payton and I'd stay up late, watch Nick at night. They'd have friends reruns. Like it was just such a sweet time being down there with them. But then the world opened up again. And y'all, honestly, I think I was just, I was getting angry. Am I just crazy or is everybody else crazy? Like what is happening here? And Shelly asked me when we, I was preparing this, she was like, what was I really fearing? And I had to really think about that because I don't know that I was fearing that my kids were getting left out or like it was the rejection, I think, that was making me so upset that my, my child that I love so much was getting rejected. And the emotional toll that this took on my body was so obvious to my family. Like it got to a point where I started retreating. Coulter would call my mom and be like, I'm really worried about Ruth. But then my friends that were close to me recognized it. They were like, what's wrong with you? I'm worried about you. And so, because I, I hid it pretty well for a while. And it just felt silly saying out loud, like, oh, my kid didn't make this team. And um, oh, now I'm questioning all my life choices as a mother. Like, it just felt so stupid. Like, when you say it out loud, um, I just felt ridiculous. And on top of that, I just always had this fierce need for justice. Like, I'm real big on right and wrong. And I'm like that kid wronged you. We got to make this right. And you can't do that. Like, as a, like, that's not my job. That was what I was wrestling with and I couldn't let it go. And more, most people would be like, just let it go. I don't. But y'all, I think there's just so many of us suffering behind closed doors because these little things are happening in your life or your kids. And it's just swallowing us up. And like I said, I'm big at the, the big, I'm, I'm good at the big things. But y'all, no one's like showing up with a casserole when kid doesn't make the team. Or they got they didn't get a date to homecoming. I mean, Mary Payton didn't get asked to homecoming ninth grade, and she's a beautiful girl, y'all. She she really she's sweet. She didn't get a Sadie's that year, but you know what? No one cares. No one remembers. No one cares. So we got a perspective here. 
And, you know, I thought about like all this rejection. I was like, Jesus was rejected, like so in a big way. Our kids are going to be rejected. We are going to be rejected. And I can honestly tell you, um, cannot tell you like what was driving that fear that I was having, except I, I was not trusting God. I was not trusting the Lord. And God started showing me little triggers that would send me over the edge, like to rip off, you know, bulletin board things. Um, one of them was social media. Um, I, I could not handle the social media. Like I had to protect my mind and my heart from looking at like the kids' social media. Like I felt like it was my job to keep up with it. Like, oh, if you're a good parent, you're going to look at, you know, whatever. But like, I did not need to see where all the people were all the time, what they're doing, who they're with, what team they made, their fabulous vacation. Like I did not need to see that. It was not good for me because it would hurt my feelings because I'm sensitive. And I just, so I, I had to guard my heart and my mind um, from that. Um, and the turning point in all of this, um, because like I said, and I'm still going to go through that cycle. We're all are, you know, until we're in heaven. One of my biggest fears that I've ever had that followed me from childhood is I was always fearful of losing a parent. Okay. Like paralyzing fear, like crazy weird fear. I remember going on like church trips and I'd have dreams like, that daddy died and I'd call and I'd be crying like, Oh my gosh, dad died in my dream. It was so real. And, um, and my parents were really good. One thing I I feel like they did so good. I mean, they did a lot of things right, but, um, they talked about death with us and my dad would say, if it's my time, I've lived so much life. You know, I'm going to heaven. You don't have to be fearful. And then my mom, you know, as they get older, I remember my grandparents doing this. They all, they're obsessed with the obituaries, you know? And like, mom's reading the obituary in the paper one day. And I'm like, oh, that's so sad. That person died. And she said, she looked up and she goes, but Ruth, it's sad for those left behind, but it is the greatest day of their life because they met Jesus. And I was like, well, that is true. You know, the great perspective. So last year, my, one of my greatest fears pretty much came true. I watched my dad dying in front of my eyes. It was very traumatic. Um, now looking back, I tell my mom, like, I feel like we were on a, an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Everything dramatic happened. And like, we're, we're weird. Like we deal with hard things with lots of humor, but like, there's a crazy nurse and like, she's pulling my mom down the hall. And I mean, it was horrible. It was horrible, but like, it really was. I mean, we felt like it was, we were on a TV show, didn't we? But y'all, and he did not die, but he has never been the same. So I did lose him that day as I knew him. But the presence of God that I felt that day was, I mean, unbelievable, unbelievable. And did I mention that that was happened the week of cheer tryouts for my daughter? (laughs) And I remember going back, she was trying out for football cheer. And I remember going back once he was in ICU and to be with her when she found out her name wasn't there. And we just looked at each other and we're like, well, okay, no tears. It was just kind of like, you know, it doesn't really matter. You're going to be fine. She knew she was going to be fine. And that whole week, this verse, um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that was the verse that I clung to every day during that ordeal. And I can tell you that 
Now, my life has not been perfect, and I, I'm not going to tell you that I have not sat here and worried about something since that happened, but my perspective completely changed. Um, one of my worst childhood fears had basically come true, um, and I saw the hand of God in every single step. And if he can sustain me through that trauma, I can bring my broken little things that I'm worried about to him. And my daughter is now a junior and she's more than fun. Y'all, all this. I'm, uh, we laugh about all these things and are super close. And, you know, I recognize that God gave me this daughter because she teaches me and God uses her to teach me because she'll say, mom, if they wanted to invite me, they would have. And I'm like, oh, just show me a little emotion. You know, aren't you upset? <laughs> no, like, like she's just not. I'm like, cry a little bit about it. No, no, it's really not. But she's just not dramatic and she doesn't get her feelings hurt. It, most of the time it's me. I'm getting my feelings hurt. She's fine. And all those weekends, she's like, oh, I was such a loser in eighth grade. I never had plans. I'm like, but all those weekends I had her with me, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't rush her out the door. Now that she's a junior, I'm like, oh, all those weekends that I had her and we watched Gilmore Girls or whatever on a Saturday night, like I wouldn't take it back for anything. And she knows I'm talking, and I asked her what advice she would give to moms and daughters, and she said, do they just want me to come talk? I'll go. <laughs> and she did. She goes, I'm a, I'll give them an earful. And I was like, I don't think that's where we're going today, but maybe, maybe later. But she said, don't take it personally. Don't try to find a group. Try to find real friends. And I loved that. I didn't write it. She said it. And God has you right where he wants you to be. And my son, he's a senior, and I am so fortunate. I have a revolving door of boys at my house all the time. I'll come home, and boys will be there, and Gibson won't. I'll be like, hey, they're having <laughs> snacks. It's fine. And I love them all so much. And they call me Mama Ruth. And I, they minister more to me, I think, than I do to them. And Mary Payton has like 30 older brothers at school looking out for her. And I remember last year, I got a call from a counselor at school, and Gibson had gone on a field trip and she told me that there was a boy that didn't have a lot of friends. And she was asking the teacher, Hey, what are we going to do? You know, they have to partner up for this. And he's like, Gibson's got it. And she, he, she was like, did you ask him to be his partner? And she's like, he's like, no. And he rode, you know, in the canoe with his kid and was his friend. And, you know, I thought about it. I was like that, is what we want to strive for with our kids, not how popular they are, how good they are at this, but like compassion for other people and love for all people. I was like, you know, that's what matters. And I just, um, you know, I've dreaded since Gibson was little that he was going to be a senior because that means he's about to go to college. And, but y'all at the first football game, he goes out there and I just felt so much excitement for him. I was so proud of him, and I didn't feel sad, which is so weird. And I just think my perspective on all the things have changed. Now, I, I need y'all to get a storyteller in here about empty nesting, which I think y'all have one on the website. <laughs> because that really scares me. Because, like I said, I really love my babies. But I do know, I'm going to end with this, I do know that God restores my soul over and over and over again. And looking back, I just wish that I had brought God those little things so he could have begun restoring my soul a little sooner because all things work together for good. We know that. There's one thing, this is what I wanted to end with. 
because this was my song. Like when my dad went through all the trauma he did, and even to this day, um, these words from this song. It says, it's graves to gardens. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. You turn mourning into dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. And y'all, if you do not know Jesus, he is the one who can and will change your life just like he has changed mine. Thank you. You know, like I said in the beginning, I actually got to be in the room. You'll probably hear my laugh throughout this story. It's very distinct. And I found myself over and over and over in Ruth's story. Where do I start? One of the main things that really jumped out at me is really why we titled this Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, mm-hmm. which is when she said, I am great in big situations, mm-hmm. and I let the small things chip away at my soul. Mm-hmm. And y'all have been thinking on it ever since. I mean... We've walked through some big things in our house, and I still find myself worrying about the little (laughs) things that I know don't matter, and we have walked through some major stuff, but it's the little things that will keep you up at night. You know, you're so right, Robin. I think all of us as moms do that. And I think also, you know, one of the things that that Ruth kept referring to is was like she knew in her head that she shouldn't be worried about these things, but she just continued to. And, and you know, she had a lot of valid points, you know, to be worried. And I think that's one thing as a mom. I mean, sometimes I wish that there was scripture that we could go to that would say, what do we do when our child's not invited somewhere? Uh, oh. <laughs> you know, just, just yes. something to hold on to. But honestly, we do have that scripture because it's all about trusting Him with our children. I spoke about it in my story four years ago, you know, of this idea of of learning how to let go of our children and trust that God is writing their testimony and not being worried about these, these small things in this world that I honestly believe the enemy makes so big in our culture mm-hmm. that we forget about what really is the big stuff, which is what Ruth touched on, compassion and love for other people. That's what we want to build up in our children. I was just thinking about that because it is the small things that the enemy uses. I mean, Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's ironic, like what you're saying, Robin. I mean, it's ironic that the, the small things are the weapons. Mm-hmm. Ruth's story is my story. Um, <laughs> let me just say, as I listen to Ruth, I could relate. I was also the mom that was like, we ride at dawn. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, and my girls especially would tell you this, I did not struggle as much with my son. Um, Something about boys I find a lot easier, but that's another episode. (laughs) But girls really, I I struggled there. And I think social media certainly is a big part of it. I do find myself even still struggling with my daughter who's still in college, but taking that thought captive and giving it to God mm-hmm. instead of doing anything else with it. I can say that I've finally progressed to be able to do that. But, you know, it was interesting to me that Ruth's confidence waned. That was the part yes. of the yeah. story oh, yeah. where she mm-hmm. was like, you know, I started losing my confidence. And you can hear what a confident person Ruth is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, again, is the enemy where you start doubting 
everything. A hundred percent. Everything. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, another thing that, and this was towards the end of her story when she spoke about, you know, her dad and her dad's illness. And, and you know, it was almost like death was kind of staring them in the face. In my story, that's what happened. I mean, basically, I lost my godson. I lost um, my father. And and there's nothing like, honestly, the the face of death that can change your perspective of what's important and what's not. Perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that they even found out in the hospital that her daughter didn't make cheer. Mm-hmm. You know, and what a what a terrible situation, but also just it's not a big it's deal. It's not a big deal. It's okay. We're gonna move on. <laughs> yeah. We are gonna move on. We yeah. are going to be fine. And we know as adults, we get there. We we know this. We know we're going to be fine. We've watched all of these people along the way, but yet with our own children, and in particular our daughters, I don't probably because we're women, um, because Ruth also has a son. But mm-hmm. most of this mm-hmm. was about her concern over her daughter, and I think we can all all three of us have a girl, and maybe it's just because we've been there, right. like we've actually been in that spot. I really that we can lose our trust. Yes, and I really want to encourage. Women, right now, if you are out there, if you have daughters in approaching middle school, approaching high school, go ahead and find that trusted friend. Yes. Take it to the Lord first, but find that trusted friend that you can say, hey, I'm struggling mm-hmm. with this. Because that has also helped me in my walk that I can have friends and I can call and say, hey, I need to share my crazy thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, because and so Ruth talked about isolating herself. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And that's a very dangerous place to be. I know when I haven't been around people for a while. I can tell, and Charles can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. He's like, you're crazy. What's going on? <laughs> That's right. Can I plan a lunch for you yes. and friends? And then when I come home and I'm like, blah, 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 he's like, oh, who are you with? <laughs> well, you know, as we said, I mean, this whole concept of parenting is just such an asked about topic. And I'll tell you, if you're new around here and you haven't listened to some of our podcasts on parenting, go back, listen to Melanie Shankle's story, 100%. The Parenting Struggle. It was episode 177. I, when I was listening to Ruth's story, I just couldn't help but think about Melanie's story as well and where she was struggling. So for those of you who have not heard her story, like I said, is episode 177, and you want to go back and listen to that as well. And we have so many other parenting stories. Did y'all know that you can go to our website and search our podcast episodes by topic and by name? <laughs> Fun fact. So go to storytellerslab.org, and when you go to podcast, you go in the search bar, and you can put in parenting, anxiety, all the thing, anything you want to hear. And those episodes should pop up. So thank you so much for listening, y'all. We know, we have no doubt that this is a story that will be passed along. Um, Let us know. Let us know how God used it. Let us know if you were encouraged. If you share it with a friend, if you share it on social media, tag us. We want to know that you're listening, and we want to know that our stories resonate with you so we can keep bringing you stories that apply to your life. So thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.